Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Michael Myers of London Horror Society. Welcome to the show. If only my name was Michael Myers, really. <laughs> if only. It, it would be such a much better introduction, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes. Yes, it would. And it flummoxed me. Dear listener, this, uh, this is I'm speaking to Chris Niles, and his email tells me when it arrives it's from Michael Myers, which when you first receive that mail, it's kind of funny and scary at the same time. Do you think, what's happening? It's the London Horror Society. Yeah. Do you know, it's, it's been quite a, uh, it was one of those things that I did. It sounded like a really good idea to do at the time uh, and since has tripped me up, but I still kind of stand by it. It's, it's almost a good way of filtering out people sometimes. You know, if they reply back with dear Mr. Myers and a funny comment, it always, it always puts a little bit of a spring in my step for the day. We're here to talk about your five indie filmmaking tips, which we'll get onto in due course. But first and foremost, Chris, do you want to tell the listener about what or who the London Horror Society is? Yeah. So first of all, thanks very much for having me on the show. I'm I'm really excited to be doing this. Um, It's, uh, yeah, the London Horror Society has been in my life for... I always think it's about five years, but it's not. It's about eight now, which is which is terrifying in its own way. Um, but we essentially it started um, as a way for me to find like-minded people to watch scary movies with because all my friends and closest people didn't like horror movies, and I did. And, you know, being a complete wuss, I didn't like watching them on my own. So I wanted to really find people that uh, that would, you know, be able to share that with me. And I couldn't, I couldn't find some. I mean, this was like I said, eight, nine years ago. And, you know, this was before sort of Facebook and things like that had really taken off as, as places to really sort of find people that might share interests. So I thought I'd start my own. And so the London Horror Society was born. And it kind of started off, like I said, as a way of finding people to watch films with. But it very quickly kind of opened up, you know, doors into um, finding rather than just people that like watching horror movies it kind of turned me into people that actually kind of liked making them as well. And all of a sudden, this, this door was open into this brand new community of people that I'd never met before. And, you know, these are a, a significantly you know, talented people that, you know, made films. And 
as a kind of a young sort of naive person that didn't really have a clue about filmmaking, you know, I always thought that making films was for people with either a ton of money or, you know, someone willing to give them a ton of money. And there were these people, these new people that I've met that were, you know, passionate filmmakers and, you know, willing to kind of and able to make really cool pieces on zero budget and by, you know, kind of spitting sawdust, just kind of almost riding on pure passion to get these films made. And, you know, as I mentioned, these are, these were all sort of really great people. And I just kind of felt that, you know, I kind of was very sort of quickly swept up in, in, in this world, really loved, you know, meeting people, um, meeting all these people. They were all such lovely people. I just kind of wanted to get involved, I think, in, in any way I could. And, you know, I knew writing wasn't my forte. I knew that, you know, directing sounded like, and still, I still believe is incredibly hard work. Um, and for, you know, some insanely talented people to do. So I thought, what could I kind of add to the mix? Well, maybe I can kind of help people shout about their films. You know, maybe I can help kind of, you know, build audiences or, you know, kind of let people know that these films are around. And, and so I kind of sort of almost kind of gave a sort of a, an arm of the society to that. And, you know, by sort of shouting about, and you know, helping build interest in, in people's films, you know, it, it really kind of helped me um, feel part of that community. And, you know, I just wanted, I guess, the, the bottom line was to help these ridiculously talented people that didn't have that mouthpiece to kind of just kind of yell from the rooftops about, you know, this amazing work that was just going completely under the radar because they didn't have, you know, umpteen million pounds of budget to spend on marketing. Um, and, and that's sort of where it started, really. So so let's so just, just, just very quickly then. So so it started off as you trying to find buddies to watch horror films with. Yep. And then became a sort of voice piece for independent horror filmmakers at the same yeah, time. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. I mean, wanting to find people to watch films with turned into, oh my goodness, there's this whole group of people that make incredible pieces. I can't believe this exists. I must sh- shout about this from the rooftops. Um, essentially, was what it was because, you know, I, I very kind of quickly came to realise that, you know, and this is this is no secret that the more money you have to market anything, you know, films included, will get you bigger audiences, and it just didn't seem right to me that, you know, really significant pieces, really significant great, you know, films, weren't being seen by people because they people just didn't know about it or uh, about them, I guess, and it's just yeah, it just seems sad. So for those that don't know the London Horror Society, and that's the first time they've heard of you, is, is in your introduction there. What activities take place then throughout the year? What, are you, what, what is London Horror Society doing to engage with horror audiences to help filmmakers get films made? Yeah, so, um, well, pre-pandemic, uh, we obviously, we used, to hold, um, uh, we used to hold sort of screening evenings where people could uh, come and show their films to audiences. Um, we've, uh, we sort of sensed, have, have tried to move those online um, as well. Um, we're, we're working on, we, we had um, a sort of a best of event from which we showed some of our sort of favourite short films from over the, sort of the past few years, a couple of months back, and we're, uh, we're going to be working on um, a, uh, our next event for that as well, which uh, we watch this space, the submission will be open for that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think our, our most popular one, our most popular event at the moment um, that we do regularly is what we call our Film Networks Speed Pitching. Okay. Um, which is essentially a uh, an online um, an online event again, uh, which takes place just on Zoom, where we essentially invite anyone who is working on anything creative, 
uh, within the, obviously the horror um, within the horror genre or anyone that wants to try and contribute to anything creative in the horror genre. And we give them basically 90 seconds to either pitch their work or pitch themselves. Okay. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, just try and match people up. Um, and um, we're, we're just literally about to do our fourth, um, which will probably be done just before this podcast goes out. Um, but uh, we, we try and do that every couple of months. Um, and they've, they've really taken off. They've grown. Uh, we, have, we had, I think, about sort of 30 people turn up for our first one. And uh, our next one, we probably have about sort of 75 to 80 people all on a Zoom call. Um, which is which is fantastic. I mean, it's great. No mean feat, Chris. No mean feat. Which is no mean feat. I know. Um, So they're very they're very highly marshaled, um, as I'm sure you can expect. Where people are, you know, rigidly set to their 90 seconds um, to talk about their piece. But it's it's fantastic. I mean, I love it because it's you know it's just great hearing about these creative ideas that these people just kind of uh, as a as someone that's never been sort of particularly creative in terms of ideas, it just blows my mind when I hear some of the ideas that come out of people where, you know, it's almost like this kind of, it's almost blase to, to some of these people. It's like, I had this great idea where we could do this and we could do that. And there's kind of me sitting there. It's like, well, that's the best idea ever. Why haven't you done this? Why hasn't anyone <laughs> else done this? And, you know, it's just, it's just brilliant. And it's, it's really, again, it's, it's a community thing for me. I mean, I think it's, it's so amazing to sort of see the sort of the UK horror community. I think personally is probably one of the most supportive um, and best communities of people around, you know, not just in film, in, in you know, ever. And it's just, it's just so uplifting, you know, particularly everyone's had such a crap year or crap 18 months, um, not just, you know, COVID related, you know, politically, it's, it's society. And I can't believe I'm getting pious about society after 10 minutes of being on this podcast. But I mean, you know, there's so many divisions amongst people now and there's something really kind of cathartic about seeing just a group of people that love the same thing talk passionately about their projects and lend support and you know there's there's nothing better honestly when you sort of come back a, a couple of months later and there's still the same people that have been to each one you know talking about how they met xyz and now they're doing this you know we've had one guy on from every uh, pitching session who's almost charted each individual step on his film you know he started off in pre-production and then he's got pre-production and then on the next one he's looking for you know editors and and uh, you know vfx help and it's it's just amazing and i'm, I'm just so kind of humbled to so to so then able. chris where where can people get hold of london horror society so they can be aware of when things are taking place and and how can they join in they, they're more than welcome so um our, our initial membership um for for everyone is is free um so people can join for that and that obviously gets to kind of uh priority kind of access to all of our events um, and they can find us on uh, londonhorrorsociety.co.uk that's our main website and um, that's where you'll be able to find all of our membership options we have a we have a premium membership option as well which is uh, called lhs pro um, which is uh, sort of slightly more high-end with a few more sort of bells and whistles on it but all the details are on the site there so uh, they're more than welcome to go and check out there and if they have any questions um yeah we're always around we're always happy to talk horror um so yeah please please do get in touch okay well look as as you've had this experience then um you've you've sort of we had a chat about what you might talk about on the podcast and, and using the mm -hmm. five format we're going to do the london horror society's five indie filmmaking tips now I've yes. got my list of five. We're going to go through them one at a time that you've you've uh, submitted to me, and we're going to talk okay. for five minutes. And just for the listener who's not heard this format before, 
Um, each 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 one of the five gets five minutes maximum. So much like his, uh, much like Chris's ninety-minute limit for pitches, um, we'll have a five-minute chat. They'll be limited to five minutes, and I won't be so strict as to just shut you up when when it gets to the, when when uh, we get to the end. But you will hear the sound of when we reach five minutes, which is quite a rude interruption at the best of times. So you'll be aware of it as you're talking, and I'll be aware of it as it happens. I and, like it. Okay. <clears throat> But obviously, finish your thought. I'm not gonna. I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not gonna be that bothered. It's more that um, we don't end up talking about one of your tips for twenty minutes and then the other four for five. It's a conversation, not a monologue. So I will chip in and, and sort of at, at where needs be. But you know, the floor is yours once we, once the clock starts. So tip number one is get your screenplay in order. What what do you mean by that statement? Okay, well, before I get into that, I'm just going to caveat this with uh, a quick kind of statement in terms of, you know, this is, I've, I've kind of thought of these five tips as a, as a kind of a, an overview of what we've kind of seen from other people and where people have sort of stumbled on their sort of filmmaking journey. And I think, you know, these five tips are not in any way the best way to perhaps make a film. It's certainly not for everyone. Um, and I think, uh, I think everyone's journey is so very different um, that, uh, you know, these might not apply to everyone. Um, but I'm hoping, that they'll be able to give uh, they'll give away. I'm glad you I'm glad you caveated that. Yes, I've 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 interviewed over 500 filmmakers, and I don't think I've heard the same story twice about how they've made the film. So exactly, but yeah. So so yeah. So the first one, time is going. So yes, get your screenplay in order. Now this sounds pretty obvious, doesn't it? But um, you'll sort of you'll be surprised, I think, um, as to sort of how many people kind of have an idea. Uh, they kind of write it down, they kind of get it all excited and, um, you know, they actually sort of then sort of almost rush into production to sort of get things get things ready or, or get things locked down. And I think, you know, there's plenty of time after you've written, after you've firmed up your story to sort of start thinking about, you know, what's going to look like, what locations you're going to go to. Um, but I think there's just some kind of, there's, there's some good practice tips to, you know, just make sure that your story is, not only correct um, from a sort of a narrative perspective, but also if you're if you're working on a feature or you're looking to kind of or if you're looking to potentially use your screenplay to raise funds, there's a few boxes I think that it must tick. That um, it, it almost sounds sad uh, when you're talking about things like format and structure, um, but it's simple things like this could, that can you know essentially if you kind of do find your screenplay on the desk of someone with some money to potentially give you. They look at it and your, you know, script's not in the right font. It's going to go in the bin. And as sad as that sounds, because of course the font isn't going to affect the story. It could be the best story in the entire universe. But um, you know, if something silly like a font kind of lands it in the bin, then that's disappointing. But you know, this is why I think it's important to kind of tick those little boxes first, just to make sure that you're not kind of putting yourself up against a, a brick wall, as it were, before you've even got started. So everybody, so what you're saying is everybody make sure you're using Courier and it's 12 point. Exactly. Um, there is plenty of software available. Final Draft being probably the most expensive, but Fade mm -hmm. In is cheaper. Uh, Writer Duet and various other ones. There are lots out there and they do all the heavy lifting for you in terms of the... Uh, they do. In terms of the formatting. Exactly, yeah. And I think, you know, that, that it's, it's simple format like that um, that's, that's, I think, you know, if you are looking to kind of make filmmaking a career if you are looking to do it seriously I think or even just screenwriting 
opportunity to want to be a writer yourself. I think that's some of those sort of initial expenses or or kind of commitments to sort of at least acting sort of, you know, try to sort of be that professional before you are. I think that's some of the simple things you could do because like you said, that software kind of does the heavy lifting for you. So if you have something like that, you know you're in a, in a good place and it makes your life easier anyway, actually, you know, by the sort of the quirks and the um, the benefits of the of the software, you know, helps you as you sort of go along as well. Now, now you met. Now that's that's formatted up. But you mentioned structure as well. What in what sense do you mean? Get get the screenplay in order in terms of structure. There's always the temptation, um, or you know, I've often seen, and you know, even like I said, I'm not particularly creative. But even when I've had ideas, there's all these kind of temptations to do these wild and wacky, crazy stories. And I think again, if you're if you're looking to sort of do something for the first time, or if it's you know, if you're in the early stages of your filmmaking journey, you're uh, you know, looking to just sort of make something, get something done. You know, I always think, you know, keep it, keep it kind of on a level that is, you know, typical for a film. You know, so you're, I always think, you know, your typical three-act structure, um, you know, so your setup, your conflict and your resolution is, is when you're starting out, you know, don't try and reinvent the wheel with your first project. You know, there's, I'm, I'm not saying that every film, obviously, every good film adheres to those structures, but, Again, why kind of try and hamstring yourself in doing something incredibly complex um, on your first go or your second go or your third go? You know, there's plenty of time. Once you've made a few films, once you've, or when you, once you've written a few screenplays, that's maybe the time where you can go and sort of mess with your typical structure. I mean, you know, some of our favorite films, you know, some directors make a living out of busting that structure out of, out of the park, you know, but... It's, uh, but even, but us, to be honest with you, though, most most things that are perceived to break rules and stuff, they they still ad, they still adhere to beginning, middle, and end. I mean, that, exactly. if there's a if there's linear narrative, it'll be yeah. beginning, middle, and end. Experimental isn't narrative, so therefore you're not dealing with the same thing. So if you're mm-hmm. Andrew Cotting or something, then you're going to be you know balls to everything. But but or or you know, but if you're generally going to have a beginning, middle, and end, then there's there's something to follow. I would also add to, to your advice that is in terms of getting a screenplay in order, as someone with this experience at the very least, is um, is to get people to read it, or not your mum or your grand. Ah, oh, see, that was going to be my next point, Stuart. Good segue. Yeah, it's it's get that feedback, um, and as you said, it's. The, I think even more importantly from that is don't get it from your mum, don't get it from your mates. You need to get it from people that are not afraid to oh no well okay Go on, well, it's kind thought. of there isn't it it's kind of that yeah so just make sure you get that feedback from people that don't know you because you need that constructive feedback you don't want someone just to say oh this is wonderful darling yes go and make this you want someone to tell you the problems because no one gets it right on the first draft indeed the first draft is never ready so don't think because you finished the screenplay you're done and also you're going to hear things that are going to piss you off and get you upset don't be upset because that person has taken time to read your screenplay. And if they have, then value that and take what's good. You know your story. They don't. But- it's a lot of work. Yeah. It's, well, it's, and it's like you said, that's a really good point. It's a lot of work to give people notes. So, you know, respect the fact that someone's taken the time to give you some notes if they have. Yeah. Um, and, 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 yeah. And, and the Just- thing to take as a writer is you're not obliged to do anything with the notes. But, mm. I, but pound to a penny for every set of notes I've ever had, that have made me go, grrr, I ate the world. About a week later, mm. when I've thought about them, they begin to make sense and they begin to show opportunities to improve your script because ultimately getting your scripts in order is having the best script it can possibly be. Mm-hmm. And that's what, and, and responding to the feedback and seeing what 
they're not seeing, or it's almost like see the note with certain, the note within the note um, becomes an important part of your job as a writer. But that's as as you advance as a writer. But anyway, that is get your screenplay in order. There's a lot yeah, more yes, we could indeed. have said, but that's a good starting point. Um, okay. So the next five minutes, your tip number two is budget carefully. What the? Why would yes. you do? Why would we do that, Chris? What's the reason why for budgeting? Well, I mean, and I think this actually should be something that is in mind as you're writing that screenplay. You know, okay. If you're looking to turn, if you're looking to turn that screenplay into something yourself, if you're looking to bring it into production yourself, you need to be thinking about that budget as you go. And, and I think that's it's a pretty good reason, really, is because it's all well and good, you know, writing some sort of epic adventure with millions of characters and you know super locations and props and special effects. But you know, if you can't afford or don't sort of have access to the you know vast wads of money it will cost to actually bring that to screen, then you know you're not really going to do your story justice. And I think, you know, it's one of my pet hates, I think, and maybe that's a bit unfair, but when you see people that almost are too ambitious with with small packets of money, you know, I think it's if you're going to do something big, you're going to do it well, or you need to do it well. And sometimes, unfortunately, the only way to do that is if you've got the money to do it. So I think it's as you're writing it, if you know you're if if you know you're not actually going to have a lot of money to make the production, then there's no harm in trying to sort of scale back a little bit. You know, you can you can write an amazing piece in set in one location with two people, with one people, with one person. Sorry. Um, so again, it, it's just kind of knowing. And and um, and, and we can look at, we can look at some of the greats of the last sort of few decades and see, you know. Reservoir Dogs is essentially a warehouse for the vast majority right. of the movie. It's right. men, it, it's it's men talking to men in a warehouse. There's nothing that exciting about what facilities and resources are required to do it, and maybe go to the expense of dressing everyone in a black suit and tie. But apart from mm-hmm. that, it's a fairly limited idea. Therefore, you can budget for that kind of film. One that probably the London Horror Society crowd who might be tuning into this podcast will be familiar with would be uh, Charlie Brooker's Dead Set. The um, yeah the zombie thing out of uh, Big Brother, and in in a special episode he did of um, I think it's probably Screenweb or something where he talks about writing. Um, he he told he talks about getting a note from his producer where the Range Rover was driving down the road and it blew up, and <laughs> they were like we're gonna have to blow a Range Rover up because why? Because well because we need the Range Rover to stop so they've got to go on foot. And he go and the producer just said well it can break down then. <laughs> yeah and we don't have to blow a range rover up <laughs> yeah that's, that's saving yourself 50 grand right there aren't you i mean exactly. that's, that's the difference and i think i think that's the thing and this is where a great producer will help you um make this kind of this task much easier because they'll know exactly where you can and where you can't save money and i think if you're doing it on your own though again if this is the first time and you're looking to produce it yourself i always think the first thing that anyone needs to do is just look at their script and go massive uh, and essentially say, so what is the absolute maximum that is going to cost me to do this? So I don't know. There's two actors. Okay, so that's going to cost me X, Y, and Z per day rate, perhaps. And it's going to take us three days. So I'm going to need to feed them. I'm going to need to do this. Okay, if I need to hire cameras and equipment, how much is the maximum that's going to cost me? And what you'll quickly find out is you'll start panicking and you will end up with a number that is so far beyond what you would actually um, be able to make this film for or what you'd ever be able to raise. And that's great because once you're there, you know that whatever happens, it's never going to cost you more than that figure 
to make this film. And then the fun begins. And I think this is where, as, a, as an indie filmmaker, this is where you kind of, your, your, your metal is made. Because now, this is where you kind of start drilling down on either A, what you need and what you don't need. Uh, be- Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. who you need in crew and who you don't need. And C, as well, this is where it gets creative. You know, this is where you kind of, you know, the fun starts of how you start figuring out how you can kind of pull off some amazing shots that would cost, I don't know, Johnny Hollywood five million quid to pull off, but it's going to cost you 50 quid in the packet of quavers. You know, and that, that's the fun thing. And I think, you know, the temptation is, is that when you're writing something, you might have, you know, an amazing three-man decapitation scene at the end. But, you know, if you don't have a significant amount of money, again, as I said at the top of this one, it's going to look crap. But what you might actually be able to find is that rather than hiring a great prosthetics guy to make this for you, is there something you can do with some clever camera work to do it and save yourself a shed ton of money to, to sort of do so? And I think, I think it, that's kind of almost the crux of indie filmmaking in a nutshell, is to just kind of maximize and almost know where you need to spend, know where... And and also, I can imagine, Chris, this is where your network... (laughs) There goes the dog barking, but I'll finish the question. Oh, there we go. Okay, that was was reasonable timing. This, that your network becomes a a forum for finding out how to do the cheats for no money. So... Yeah, yeah. Because I can imagine there's a kind of hive mind that, that has seen all the DVD extras of umpteen horror films and throughout the ages. So when right. somebody says, I need to do this, but I can't afford that, then, right. then people can go, oh, well, I saw on the making of blah, blah, blah. Yep. This was how they cheated it. So there's like, you know, I'm guessing there's techniques that then become <clears throat> ways. But obviously being part of the London Horror Society, you've got more than just what you know in your head to draw upon in terms of advice. Yeah, I, I, I like to think so. I mean, I think, again, and it's not just the London Horror Society, you know, as I said, the, the, the UK horror community and uh, the indie film community as well are always massively keen to share, you know, any, any hints and tips on, on how to kind of make these um, hugely ambitious scenes, you know, look easy. And there are, there are shortcuts everywhere. It's, like I said, it's this, this hive mind. And, uh, you know, for one of the good things that social media has brought to, <laughs> brought to our lives is, yes, you can share information very quickly and very easily. It's just a case of uh, knowing where to look and you know having the having the balls to give it a go as well. I think sometimes is is one of the one of the big things um, that uh, you know you can kind of pull it off um, if you know if there is something ambitious. Now you know just give it a try, give it a go. 
if it doesn't work out, you can always you can always try something else. You can always sort of try it another way. Well, um, I'm going to say there's no bigger lesson, is there, than finding out what doesn't work as much as there is yeah, finding out right. what does work. And I know, and that sounds right. like that sounds mean spirited, but I think I think all filmmakers at the high up to the highest level are forever getting it wrong to get it right. Yeah, that, look, I mean, and it goes. That's not just filmmaking, is it? You know, you learn you learn best when you make mistakes, and that is 100 exactly the same with, with filmmaking. Um, and I think, you know, it's just the, the, the trick, the kicker is with filmmaking is that, you know, if you do it while you're on set, that's costing you a ton of money because if you get it wrong completely, you have to go back. So I, that's why, like I said, budgeting carefully is very important um, because, you know, it will say if, if you get the budget right, you know, you'll like be able to sort of iron out those problems before you even get to set. Indeed. So tip number three, then, why should I not be tempted to do everything myself? Well, you can. I mean, <laughs> if, you, if you're really tempted, you can. but there are, like I said, and how, I don't know how many times I've said this already, there are a wealth of brilliant people out there who love this genre and love filmmaking as much as you do, and they might very well be willing to come on and help you. And, you know, no matter who you are, you're not going to be good at everything. You know, as, as, sad as, it, as sad as it is to say that, that's not being me and me, you know, by virtue of being a human being, you are not going to be good at doing everything. So... If you're not good at doing everything, it's good to know what you are good at and what you're not good at. Come to terms with it and find someone who can actually help you with that. And I think, you know, again, this community is incredibly supportive. I'm not saying go out there and ask people to do it for you for free. I think if you are going to spend money anywhere, your best investment by tenfold will be people, is to bring people in that know what they're doing, who are, you know, more experienced than you in various areas. Um, and don't be afraid to sort of ask for help. I mean, I think you need to be honest with people. I think, you know, don't bring people on if you can't afford to pay them what they um, either want or what they're, what they're worth. Um, but on the flip side of that, people are in this job for love as well as money on very kind of, on, on a lot of occasions. So, you know, if they have the time and if they have um, the sort of the means to perhaps do a couple of days or help you out on something and they like you and they like your script then they actually might might do it you know and, and I, I think but i think chris that's the important point i think i think people liking each other is a great motivator for helping out and giving you time for free a big demotivator is when someone is behaving entitled to the help and then when they get some they abuse the help so while, while, yeah, while obviously this is meant to be advice about not being tempted in yourself, it also means that knowing your limits doesn't mean that everyone else is there just to service your film. That there's there is a great deal of brinkmanship and negotiation to be uh, had. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think, look, for me, um, whenever I've been lucky enough to to work on a on a film in any capacity, part of the fun and part of the rewarding experience that it is is meeting those people that you will then go and make other stuff with. Um, I think when it comes to sort of crewing up a project, I think no matter what kind of other people you have in, you know, knowing that someone is great to work with is probably, you know, the number one differentiator of what's going to set you apart from someone else. And I think, you know, by, by sort of having a reputation for treating people badly on set, you're going to struggle horrendously. Mm. And... You know, it's just, well, it's just, you know, it's, it's respect as well. It's like, you know, treat people as you expect to be treated yourself in any way. It doesn't matter if you're paying them or not. Um, and, 
yeah, I, I think that by by networking and meeting new people, not only are you going to you know expand your own personal network for the films that you make, you know, you might actually kind of be able to sort of meet people to go and you know lend a hand on other people's sets. And again, it's it's that kind of it's that sort of um, that kind of networking kind of vibe really that that sort of brings people together. You know, the more people you know, the better, because again, you know, you're going to need to you're going to need to bring in people for films that you might not have worked with before. But if you know Mr. X can give you a great reference to Mr. Y, then you know this is this is how this will make your life easier, far far easier in the future. So, you know, get well, so, but what, be nice. What, what but if if somebody doesn't reach out, what 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 are the pitfalls of trying to do everything yourself? What have what have you seen happen? I think it's just again, if you're not good at everything, you're gonna it, it, it's gonna fall down at some point. I mean, you can't be a good writer, a good director, a good editor, a good sound mixer. You know, it, it's just it's just impossible to be that person. And yes, you can do it. You you genuinely can do it. You can kind of try your hand at it. But I think the filmmaking is so it's, it's a very precise skill. You know, particularly when it comes to the um, the things that you can't sort of scrimp on. You know, so sound mm. editing. Um, you know, the mix, things like that. If you don't get that right, it kind of, it will take people out of the film. I, I, you know, I cannot, there's been so many occasions where I've seen a film kind of come to screen, which is visually beautiful. The story is fantastic, but the sound's terrible. And it's, you know, no matter how good everything else might be, I am completely out of this film because the sound's bad. So it's a case of, you know, well, maybe the director or the producer thought that they could do it themselves. So they'd save themselves a few pennies and, and sort of do it that way or not kind of put it out and ask someone to sort of help out. And at the end of it, their film kind of is almost meaningless because <laughs> you're taken out of it by, by a sort of a bad decision. And again, like I said, it's not an admission of failure by saying, you know, I'm not good at everything. And I think ask the question, see if you can bring someone in. You know, people might say no, but you've got you've to give it a go, I think. It's knowing knowing your limit, and it's a cla- it is and ultimately from one thing I've learned from all the people I've interviewed is that it's a collaborative medium, filmmaking. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, you'll never find a film made by one person. Yeah, exactly. And that objective eye on any part of the process by somebody that's not wedded to it because they weren't there when you had the first kernel of the idea could be the difference between it being brilliant and being all right because you got it through the yep. gate in the end, and and. And by not allowing yourself that opportunity, you could be compromising your own project, which is my long-winded way of going. Tip number four is be flexible, but thorough. What do you mean by that? Yes. So things are going to go wrong. As soon as you get to set, or, or even beforehand, to be honest, things are going to go wrong. Um, things are going to kind of trip you up on the way. Things are going to happen that you didn't expect to, or maybe you didn't prepare for. Um, but you've got to be able to roll with those punches and be flexible because just because something might go wrong or something might sort of happen that uh, you, you weren't particularly expecting, it doesn't have to knock you completely off course. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that you should kind of roll up into a set with your screenplay and think, you know, sod it, see what happens. We'll kind of get through this and just, you know, start rolling. That's, that's absolutely not the case. Mm. You know, I think overall, or anything, but I, I feel the kind of the number one, perhaps, indie tip is prepare, prepare, prepare. Just you know, prepare as much as you can because that will help. But it's that flexibility because you you will not prepare for everything. But having that flexibility or being able to um, sidestep issues and then think, okay, right, so okay, shit, it's raining outside, so we can't shoot that now. But you know, can we move this around? Can we move this one scene that we could do now today 
and then sort of try again tomorrow when the weather forecast is a bit better. You know, I think I think some people get so ingrained in their schedules and their plans and sort of, you know, lockdown so much where, you know, if the slightest wrinkle happens, you know, it's panic stations and the, the shoot kind of fails. And I think having that kind of open-minded flexibility to, you know, pivot into new scenarios should they arise will help you, you know, a lot, to be, to be honest, because, you know, it's all well and good, you know, trying to sort of panic and sort of figure something out. But there's also, it sounds almost a little bit trite, but I think if, if the producers and the directors are on set kind of panicking, then everyone's kind of, it's, it's going to sort of make almost like a kind of a tense environment. And, you know, having, having the leaders kind of freaking out because they're not going to be able to get um, a particular shot in is going gonna, is gonna to sort of reverberate around the rest of the queue, uh, around the rest of the crew, sorry. And um, yeah, just having that kind of foresight to know that things are going to go wrong and to try and not prepare accordingly, because I don't think you can in some aspects, but just know that you will be able to get it in the can. You will be able to kind of sidestep things. And, um, and also you know, as well, that flexibility, I think, is is that you may well be working with people with 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 more experience than you. And for them, seeing a kind of pig-headed approach of this is what we set out to do, this is what we'll do, even right. though experience tells other people this is that's right. This is not going to work right. or this is not going to be effective. When, yeah. Like you say, we could wait 24 hours, we could go and do something else. Yeah, but it's, it's also not just for the negative things as well. I mean, there's actually, you know, to be flexible for things that could actually uh, be more positive than what you actually thought. So one of the things that you, you see quite a lot is when you have your talent on set, you know, you might have your screenplay that you've crafted, um, particularly as I spell out point one, this is almost kind of contradicting that a little bit, but, you know, your talent might turn around and say, well, that line's really good, but what if I did it, said it like this? And what if I did it like this? Um, and if you were kind of not willing to be flexible, you might think, actually, no, let's kind of go what's in the script. But, you know, one of the, the great things about a, a great actor is that, you know, their ideas are, are fantastic. You know, they've had that experience there. And, you know, also if they're going, if they think a, a delivery in this way or in their set way would be better than yours, then it's, it's likely to come out better than what it might have been written in. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that you have to sort of listen and make those decisions based on what the actors say every time, but have that flexibility to be open to ideas, you know, because often it will come out far better for you. And I think, yeah, as you said, you know, you don't want to be that kind of crew. You don't want to be that sort of director that is a complete stickler and sort of closed to any ideas because, you know, once those cameras are rolling, that's when you really see what your script's all about. That's what you really see what your production's actually coming together and being. So be open um, to, to sort of those changes. But one of the, the big caveat to this is that you need to be flexible, but you cannot be slapdash. You know, there's, you can't use flexibility as an excuse to, you know, cut corners. You know, how many times has this probably been said on your part, you know, your, your podcast, you can't fix it in post every time. You mm. genuinely can't. It's the worst phrase ever. Um, so don't cut corners in anything, you know, particularly things like, you know, the easy things like insurance, and your editing, things like that, just make sure you get that extra take if you think you need it. You know, don't use it as an excuse to claw back some minutes um, on your schedule. You know, just make sure you get that uh, extra take. You know, make sure you back up that hard drive. <laughs> you know, make sure, you know, make sure you just get everything out of that shoot that you absolutely need because you're not going back. So get it all done very, very quickly. 
Oh, look at that! Look at that! You're, you see, you've, you've 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 morphed into five minute five minute takes <laughs> on things. My mental clock is is on it. Well, look, the final tip, tip number five, is plan your release strategy early. I presume the yes. emphasis is on the early, not the plan bit. So why why yes. do we plan it early? Well, I think again, when you're, I think with everyone's sort of release strategy. There's, it's going to encompass a few particular things. It's either going to be you're either going to be looking for distribution, um, and you know if you're not, you're probably going to be looking at festivals as well, um, or, or either or. Um, and with those things comes uh, costs and um, extra planning. And I think again, as I said um, in the last point, I think overall, the more planning and prep you can do, the better. And I think if you do it early. You're going to sort of iron out some of the sort of the big surprises, I think. And you know, it, it's hard to think about the strategy, your release strategy. I think when you're in the pre-production stage, because you know, and rightly so, all your efforts is in how the bloody hell do I get this thing in the can with so little money? You know, so I, I totally don't blame people for not necessarily thinking about the. Release and I think I think let's be honest here. We, we're talking more if someone's trying to make a feature of them. I think I think if someone's making a short film, yeah, there's. There's certainly places that will that will show it. You know, shorts.tv, for yep. example, certainly do acquire short films, but it's not what you would call a release. So, and I think that if you're making a feature film, it's it's in your sort of it's in your uh, sort of be- it's to your benefit that you think about where this is going to get seen. You know, you can yes. make you don't have to be making something that's going to win the Palm Door. You can still be making, you know. Mm cannibals and buckets of blood if you want but know mm-hmm. full well where that goes and one thing I've, one thing i've learned of late on the podcast from speaking to uh, producers is that a mistake a lot of indie filmmakers make is that they really please with themselves get it in a festival and then you've given up your world premiere to no effect so while you can go and see it and it's exciting and it would be like sort of a B or a C grade festival. Absolutely. If your film was Absolutely. ever to attract the attention of a sales agent and a distributor, they'd mm-hmm. want to help plan your release. So on, almost in a way, your strategy should be, I need to get a distributor and or sales mm-hmm. agent on board Absolutely. to help me release the film because I'm not a exhibitor who's, who can control that element of it. Mm. No, you're absolutely right. And I think, again, you need to do this early. I mean, we were speaking at LHS Pro. We were talking to uh, a film um, sales and acquisitions um, manager about when they sort of typically want to look for scripts. And he said that, you know, more often than not, they want to see scripts early before they've actually Mm. gone into production. Because, you know, if, if someone's interested in coming on board as a film sales agent, um, they can help iron out issues in your script, you know, before you even got there. And, and, is, and also, you know, Chris, you as a filmmaker, advice. I'm going to say you as a filmmaker will also understand what the market thinks of your idea. If, you, if you expose it to people like sales agencies, distributors, when it's at script stage, that doesn't mean yeah. you have to change anything, but it no, does mean you right. understand where you're going. So when they say, that's oh, it. that's a bit too, because, you know, there are horror sales distribution companies and there are horror and sales distribution companies. Some of them... Mm just want you to throw the the claret around and rip off limbs. Mm-hmm. Others want you to come up with the next Babadook. And obviously, they're all horror films. Yeah, yeah. But they're not the same, are they? No, that's right. And I think that's... when If, you are, if you're making a feature film and you want to sort of 
you want to put it out for distribution or try and get it distributed, you you have to unfortunately remember that you know this is a commercial activity. You know, people are are only going to want to pick it up if they feel that it can make money. Hmm. And you know, if you are looking to say, you know, if you are looking to make a career out of this and sell your film, then you know you have to take that on the chin, you know, and and sometimes sort of jump through the hoops that that comes with. And there's, there's absolutely obviously no shame in that. Um, you know, everyone has to make a living somehow. Um, but I think also, even if it's not something you're looking for, if distribution isn't um, what you're looking for, you know, if you are, like you said, making a short film, you know, you still need to you still need to look at your market and your audience early to to know where to position it because mm. I think even having that. Um, like you said, even in horror, there's a you know multitude of subgenres that you can you can go after. And knowing when you're when you're sort of building up the the um, the sort of the buzz for your film, you you know there's these particular subgenres they kind of congregate in their own little niches, which is great. It's a case of you know if you can find those people and speak to those people early, you can build up a better buzz for your film rather than saying oh, I'm making a horror film. I'm just going to you know go on to Facebook and speak to all the horror film groups. You know. Take your time, you know, figure out who your audience actually is going to be and start talking to those people. I mean, I'm not saying as maybe a screenplay stage where, you know, you're looking for, you know, screenplay tips. Go on, finish yourself. Well, by the dog. But yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, yeah, know your audience. And then from there, as you said, when it comes to festivals, um, when it comes to sort of submitting to the right festivals, you know, do your research. You know, know the festival that is going to be right for you. You know, it might not be, you know, everyone dreams of playing Cannes or South by Southwest or, you know, TIFF or somewhere like that. But, you know, your, your key festival might be one of the more regional ones, you know, where you can go and actually network properly with people that, you know, love horror or love whatever particular genre you're going for. So, again, it, it's pre-planning because you'll save a lot of money on submission fees as well. You know, if, if you don't know what festivals you need to submit to and you start, you know, willy-nilly throwing out applications everywhere, you're going to spend an absolute packet. And the amount of people that don't uh, account for, for that when they're in their budgeting phase and end up spending double their budget just on uh, festival submissions is pretty common. So I think, yeah, just a little bit of extra planning and a bit of research oh, there yes. go a I've long got, way. I, got, I, I can speak with, with the experience of someone that got burnt quite a lot by the amount of submission fees I hadn't allowed for. Um, it's, it soon That's mounts right. up 10 festivals soon mounts up to a sizable chunk of change when you've made it does when you've made your no budget short film exactly and i think that's that's where that's where that kind of being selective needs to needs to happen and you know that's before you even actually go and attend these things as well and actually go and meet people you know again that costs money so again it's just it's just a way of you know maximizing your buck essentially indeed well look let's remind people then of your top tips so tip 1 was get your screenplay in order tip 2 was budget carefully Tip three was don't be tempted to do everything yourself. Tip four is the the other side of that coin, which is be flexible and but thorough. And tip five, plan your release strategy early. Um, there you go. Thank you for those indie filmmaking tips. Let's remind people, how can they find more about London Horror Society and get involved themselves? Um, so please come to our, our website. It's www.londonhorrorsociety.co.uk. Like mm-hmm. I said, our initial membership is absolutely free. And we'd, we'd love to have you. Um, and uh, you'll also find us on Twitter and Instagram. Use your social media um, haunts. Uh, a, a handle for each is at London Horror Sock, S-O-C. Please do come and find us. We'd love to have you on board. And um, yeah, thank you very much. Well, thank you for giving your time on the Britflix podcast. No problem at all.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina. 